Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Justin Trudeau vows to stand up to China. We will remain absolutely committed to working with our allies uh, to ensure that China's approach of coercive diplomacy, uh, its uh, arbitrary detention of two Canadian citizens alongside other citizens of other countries around the world, uh, is not viewed as a successful tactic by them. The government pushes back against conservative attempts to keep the WE scandal alive. They have an obligation to release these documents. We have the unmitigated power to force them to do so. And we are going to establish an anti-corruption committee to get it done. And is there hope for Halloween? Finding that balance of trying to provide some degree of um, uh, normality, even though it's, it's actually different from any other year. Uh, most public health um, leaders put think that that is actually important, but how do we adapt to the new realities of the new Halloween? It's Wednesday, October the 14th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Dan, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for the call, Mark. Prime Minister Trudeau is saying that his government will stand up to China's coercive diplomacy. It has been almost two years now since Michael Kovrig was detained, one of the two Michaels, as they have become known, who have been detained in China, clearly in response to the arrest of Meng Wanzhou. What do you think that means? In what way could Canada stand up in, in and what could they do differently going forward that has not resulted in the release of the two Michaels so far? Well, I think diplomacy, uh, which has been the, the sort of quiet diplomacy and uh, very measured statements, have been the sort of uh, two-track uh, policies so far in the two years since the, well, I'm going to call them kidnappings of the two Canadians. And, um, you know, they haven't really moved that part of the agenda along. Meanwhile, China continues to imperiously uh, make demands and, uh, you know, sort of demand that Canada undermine its own justice system in order to uh, bring about the release of Meng Wanzhou. Um, you know, and it's a, such a complicated situation, Mark. I mean, you know, we found out subsequently uh, that, you know, some of the American demands for her arrest or her detention, should I say, and, and extradition were, were made on dubious legal grounds with dubious evidence. Um, but yet at the same time here, Canada is stuck with this situation and has brought down the wrath of the Chinese uh, regime. So it's a very difficult situation from Canada because there are economic interests in maintaining a healthy trade relationship. There are political interests with maintaining a, a workable uh, diplomatic uh, relationship, but the Chinese uh, obviously feel they're the stronger partner or the stronger uh, uh, stronger element in this uh, puzzle, and so they won't uh, cooperate. Uh, so Canada wants to take a tougher line, but I don't think it's going to be, there's going to be that much the Canadian government can do on its own. So I think the government is quite rightly uh, saying that it's got to find allies in this. I'm going to, they're not saying this, but I'm assuming non-American allies, since we really don't know you know, what the Americans are going to do from one day to the next under the Trump uh, administration. So Canada is going to have to find allies around the world uh, to help it uh, stand up to the Chinese. We're not the only ones the Chinese are pushing around and bullying either, by the way. And uh, uh, the Chinese regime doesn't get much pushback. Everyone is weaker than them. 
and uh, so they feel they're they're able to get away with it, and uh, and it's time that Canada and other like-minded nations, uh, you know, uh, take a stand. All right, we'll see what happens there. Let's turn to uh, what's happening with Canada's public health agency. Uh, there were acknowledgments uh, recently that. Uh, the agency wasn't as prepared for this pandemic as it should have been. Uh, there were doctors uh, suggesting that there were uh, an erosion of funding and an erosion of scientific capacity uh, that have led to some of those issues. And, um, and now it's become a discussion over who knew what and when, whether there were warnings that uh, the agency wasn't prepared. What do you make of all of this? Well, I, uh, you know, it, it's clear that Western governments around the world weren't ready for COVID-19. The, the pandemic has had similar impacts right around the world. And, uh, you know, the Canadian Public Health Agency um, evidently was a victim of some neglect. You know, you go back to '03 for the SARS crisis. That was a huge wake-up call for the whole country. And re- as you'll recall, it resulted in a a major inquiry, and there was a lot of soul-searching over what to do. But, I mean, Jean Chrétien was still prime minister when that happened, uh, and that's many years ago now, uh, Sarah. So there's no, you know, the the danger of pandemics seemed to have receded a little bit into into the distance. And um, I think the, you know, success of Canadian governments under Harper and Trudeau both allowed a sort of benign neglect to take place, and and the agency evidently was not as ready as it might have been uh, for when uh, COVID nineteen emerged uh, last year. So there's um, early this year, I should say. So there's um, you know there are there were funding constraints. There were periods of government uh, you know funding or government financing. Um, austerity, if you will. And uh, so, you know, it it was one of the agencies that suffered. Um, But, you know, this is obviously, you know, we're obviously paying a price for this now because of the way the uh, pandemic has unfolded. Yeah, and it it could be argued that there aren't political incentives for uh, funding public health uh, to prevent or or deal with the pandemic, that there are better political incentives for dealing with things that are more immediate in nature, right? So... Is that a is that yeah. a flaw in our system, in a way? Yeah, there there are sort of built-in weaknesses in the system, Mark, because of our split jurisdiction in matters of public health. Uh, you know, yeah. where the uh, the federal government washes the exterior borders, but the provinces run everything else virtually in the healthcare system. So, um, but you know, this is one of the lessons that we're going to have to learn from this pandemic that uh, clear and unambiguous lines of responsibility and authority uh, and accountability uh, have to be in place because this is not the last pandemic. Uh, and this is what governments have to remember, even when there's no immediate crisis in, in front of them. All right. The public, uh, the, the top uh, public health official in the country, Dr. Teresa Tam, the chief public health officer, said yesterday that uh, in some ways Halloween could go ahead. Now, I know it's different in every part of the country. We're all going through different phases of this pandemic. Uh, but what do you think about that? Is is this the sort of thing that, that should be happening right now, or should it be shut down like everything else? Uh, you know, that is such a tough one. And, and you know, I, I'm just going to default to whatever, uh, you know, advice we're getting from the professionals. But you'll notice that Dr. Tam, you know, said, okay, go ahead with it, but take a bunch of precautions. Now, the good thing about Halloween is that 
people wear masks anyway. It's just that now they're going to have to wear the masks over the lower part of their face other than just the top part. Uh, you know, the little kids seem to be getting used to it. This is what my, my friends and, and, you know, people I talk to, people with younger children, um, the, you know, kids are so adaptable. They're getting used to whatever is going on in their lives, you know, the changes at school and everything. Um, but I, I think if they're told to be careful, uh, they will be. And But it's going to be, as with everything else with Halloween, it's always a bit risky. And uh, parents have to uh, exert the uh, responsible controls over their kids and uh, and make sure everybody's behaving responsibly. But, uh, you know, I personally would be, be gr- think it would be great if the kids could get out and have some fun. Uh, it's been a pretty long grind for them, too. And uh, it's such a big deal for the little kids, especially, that uh, that would be a shame to see it go by. What we can't have, though, is adults, teenagers, adults, young adults and whatnot, uh, doing their own Halloween parties and getting dressed up and, and offending against the uh, the local COVID regulations. And people just have to be smart about that. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the Wee scandal and the fact that the Conservatives are trying to keep it alive uh, and have been making efforts uh, this week and last week to, to extend the storyline. And yesterday... Prime Minister Trudeau responded by saying uh, that was pure politics and that his government was focused on on COVID-19 and the opposition should be as well. Uh, Do you think there is any uh, any political advantage to the Conservatives to trying to keep this going? Well, they obviously believe there is. Their polling must suggest that the uh, you know, that government is vulnerable on issues like this, and I, and that's what I mean. The we thing is difficult for ordinary people to understand. It's emerged during a time of the pandemic when people are far more concerned about pandemic issues and, and the safety of their families than they and their and their jobs and everything than they are about what you know the government did in terms of a of a plan, a program that never actually got implemented and the money never was spent. Um, you know, but at the same time, the Conservatives do understand that the, the Liberals and the Prime Minister have left themselves open to uh, suspicions and allegations of corruption because they just keep having these ethical lapses. And, uh, you know, while the PM might think he's giving good advice to the other opposition parties, you know, advice that has never been taken by an opposition party since Confederation. So that, you know, <laughs> yeah. the Conservatives... But the NDP is also banging away at it. They have their own proposal for a committee. It's just the Conservatives would like to have something that sounds like, I don't know, the you know some famous anti-corruption uh, crusade somewhere. Um, you know, at, at the same time, I, I don't know, maybe I'm getting cynical in my old age, but I'm pretty sure the Conservatives would have behaved very similarly uh, had they been in power and would have found friendly agencies and, and corporations and whatnot to help out in their pandemic response. Um, but, you know, they do see, um, you know, a weakness, a vulnerability, I think, in, you know, in the Liberals on the corruption or ethics side of things. And it's in their interest to keep uh, uh, plugging away on that. But uh, it shouldn't be um, at the cost of, of the pandemic thing, because that's really where Canadians' heads are at. All right, Dan, great to have your insights on all of this. Thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. Thanks for the call. Dan Legere, longtime political writer and broadcaster. This crisis has been very difficult for businesses across the country. So we've strengthened major programs that we created that have been a lifeline for them. 
Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Kevin Bryan, Amabu Ajiti, and Vivek Goel argue carefully tailoring restrictions will be crucial during the second wave of the pandemic. They write, On both economic and long-term health grounds, we should endeavor to keep open upstream sectors such as manufacturing, transportation, and natural resource extraction. Partial or complete lockdowns should be considered when necessary as a public health control measure. However, it is important to understand the consequences of such measures in order to target them as precisely as possible and minimize additional harms to people's health. In an editorial, the Toronto Star calls on the Liberals to stop ducking a handgun ban. The Star writes, The Canadian government's plan to allow municipalities to ban handguns is not an overreach, as Alberta politicians have labeled it, but it would be an ineffective gesture at a time when cities desperately need help to curb rising gun violence. The power and responsibility to implement such a ban properly rests with the federal government. Trying to get around that fact is a recipe for more delay and inaction, and the deadly consequences that come with that. In the Financial Post, Diane Francis argues Donald Trump is getting increasingly desperate and erratic as the election nears. Francis writes, Of late, Donald Trump has thrown around threats abroad and deployed warlike tactics at home. He exaggerates domestic threats and foments violence by courting extremists and concocting conspiracies. The guessing game in boardrooms and cabinet tables remains what he will do next in the lead-up to the election. Trump's rage and absence of self-restraint have shredded his reputation at home and abroad and squarely put markets and leaders on edge. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominique Leblanc will speak virtually at a session of the Democracy Exchange Summit. And Economic Development Minister Melanie Jolie will take part in a virtual event for the Regional Relief and Recovery Fund. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, October the 14th. Tune into Primetime Politics every night on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.